So we're back. We're back. After a little bit of a, a hiatus. A hiatus. Uh, unplanned, really. Yeah, life just got busy. Yeah. Um, got I actually, busy. I haven't seen you I, I since uh, since we recorded. Since we recorded, uh, came out, I think, right around spring break time for, for us. And uh, in that time, you have left the country, came back to the country. Uh, we're decently into into our last quarter of, of the school year and uh it's like the first time i've seen you since man yeah since, uh, it's 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 been a it's been a ride these last this last month like you said we uh, the wife and i went to paris yeah for spring break you know ate uh one or two croissants and yeah made some macaroons and was it as good as you had like hoped and, oh I mean, it was it was excellent right i i am now on that that trend of ham and swiss Oof. Which, what I never realized was, I think the secret is butter. Like, <laughs> butter on the ham and Swiss. Butter on everything. Like, that is the condiment of choice, is like, butter. So, like, in a sandwich, right? You have, mm-hmm. like, a, a beautiful a French baguette, bread sandwich. Yeah. Some butter. Yeah. The ham and the Swiss. And it's the butter. Is the, it's the butter that does it. the secret sauce, yeah. Well, so you just put butter in everything. That and then eggs on everything. Eggs on everything, which I'm already on that yes, trend. Yes, yes, and and, and yeah. I agree with you now. Potatoes do go on pizza. Potatoes on pizza. It's, yeah. I think it's inherently. I didn't find it in Italy. I found it no. only in in France, and so I think it's inherently like I don't know if it's just Parisian or just French thing, but it hits different. Man. It does. It does. It so. does. Uh, you. I'm sure you went to you know our our, our listeners. Big history people. You made it to the the palace, Palace of Versailles. Palace of Versailles. Yes, yes. Louis' face is on everything. Everything. Everything uh, is gilded. It, it did not disappoint. It was. How long quite were you grand. in line, dude? Were you like? It wasn't that bad with COVID. Uh, you had to have reservations for for all of these things. Now, of course, it was interesting because I think uh, we we got there on a Friday, and by Monday, France had lifted their COVID restrictions. So masks were no longer mandatory. Uh, you no longer had to have a vaccine pass. Uh, so like you had to have like a QR code to get into places before. Wow. So we had to get that for the first few days, but then that was no longer required. Okay. Um, so not not really a too large of crowds. Uh, you know, from what I've seen and what I've heard from you when you were there is, uh, you know, long crowds up to the gates and. Yeah. Not really. Like we we got some pretty decent pictures of, you know, the palace with no one in yeah. them. So yeah, yeah, those those beautiful cobblestones. Yes, I mean, they just feel ancient. Mm-hmm. You know? And oh man, and then of course, I mean, it just talk about just extreme opulence everywhere. Oh, everywhere. Look. I mean, it's uh, you see why it really is a a step by step guide of how France went broke. I mean, really, <laughs> it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, so no surprise there for sure. Uh, Eiffel Tower went up to the top. Yeah, yeah. I Is hate there... heights, and that was freaky. <laughs> I'm sure because it, it's it's a little windy up there, man. It's, yeah, uh... I was so because of, you know the angle of the Eiffel Tower, you can't just take one elevator all the way up to the top. You right. got to take right. uh, two. And you guys went up to the top. Yeah, right? we sure did. Yeah, I was surprised by by how long of an elevator ride it was from <laughs> oh, from yeah. level two all the way up to the very top. Yeah, for sure. It's like it just keeps going. It just keeps going. Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, you're you're back, and uh, um, I'm sure when you were in, in Paris, you got you experienced like cafe culture. Oh yeah, and that's one of my favorite things. Just, you know, finding a great a great cafe, watching the world go by, mm-hmm. people watching. Yeah, it's it a great. great people watching city for sure. It was, and and I and I just want to put this on the record: French people, super nice. I loved it. Yeah, French people were great. Yeah, stereotyped that they were mean. 
did not experience that whatsoever. The only experience we had, and it wasn't with us, with with French people being that stereotypical, you know, stereotypical according to Americans, mm-hmm. right? Of of being rude and you know that kind of stuff was when you know someone was being rude to them. I think it was at a restaurant, and I think they were furious. You know, that there wasn't ketchup. Heinz ketchup immediately available, you know, and and uh, and the waiter just pretended not to speak English, and then promptly spoke very good, clear English with us. And so, uh, in my experience, that stereotype is totally unfounded. Yeah, you know? totally unfounded. We had we 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 ran into more rude Americans than we did. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of cargo short Americans out there, huh? Well. Yeah, 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 yeah. We just lost some of our bait. We just lost Ethan. We just yeah, yeah. We just the, the cargo short. <laughs> crew yeah that's funny but i will say you the whole time i was there i was just thinking john brown john brown i gotta talk more about john brown well because you had we just started to get into the meat of it and then you know we left the country and and had this big gap um i think it was a tease for our audience but it was also a tease for us yeah i know because and you sometimes with these these multi-part series we 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 say hey you know see you next time and then we go right we you know we 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 uh, have a beverage and, and hit right back in it and 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 this was not that case. I no. mean, we have had a clean break, so uh, I we are returning to this a little a little hazy. Um, we got to we got to John Brown last time. Uh, we kind of saw his his origin story. We learned about um, where his conviction, his uh, history of of kind of uh, abolition abolition in his family, right? Um, we heard of kind of his his failed ventures all around the country, different businesses, different lands, briefly running kind of like a, a commune for uh, for for free black people. Uh, I believe yeah. in, was that in in upstate New York? I yeah, believe. New Elba. And and so we've really kind of seen different sides of him, and then kind of right at the end, we got to what we know him for the uh, the uh, well, maybe not a highlight reel, maybe that's the wrong term, but you know uh, the the Posawatomi massacre, right? Um, bleeding kansas right and and really the 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 john brown that we see on the 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 capitol building in topeka right yeah. the the bible in one hand and the beecher bible in the other um so where are we going next yeah so that was really kind of like part one of the john brown story we know right mm-hmm. it's you know he just kind of shows up in kansas and then he just kind of shows up in in harper's ferry and that's why that's why i'm really excited for this part two episode is it really fills in the gaps and it, and it shows his evolution. So this episode, part two of our Kansas Crusaders, is, is really going to focus on John Brown after Bleeding Kansas and the, the plan. And I want to emphasize the plan here, the thought and the action that went into the 1859 Harper's Ferry Raid um, that ultimately sealed his fate. And arguably, you know, the fate of slavery, um, as Frederick Douglass would say, you right. know, started the war that ended slavery. So, so that's where we're going today. Let's do it. All right. So uh, when we last left off, you know, John Brown um, had just won the Battle of Osawatomie, right? Gained the name Osawatomie, Osawatomie Brown. Um, he lost his son Frederick the yeah. day of the battle, and he had decided to, quote unquote, wage war into Africa. And so Brown is actually going to leave Kansas in 1856. So he's really only there for like a year. Yeah. Um, and from, from here, he is going to venture into his new business. Now, we're not talking about wool. We're not talking about tanning. We're talking about the abolition of slavery. Okay. 
And so it is now his mission to, uh, to end slavery. And so from 1856 to ultimately 1859, he is seeking men, he is seeking money, and he is seeking weapons. So does this mean he's, he's kind of floating around, um, I assume, you know, north of Mason-Dixon, or at least 3630? And- yeah, and, and mainly, so he's, he's going to mainly gonna be in Iowa, um, and he's really going to hit up the northeast. Okay. Um, and so he goes to the northeast first, um, and he, f- he finds a, a companion and a friend, a man named Franklin Sanborn. Okay. And this individual is going to be important. He will pop up a lot in episode three on the historiography. Uh, Sanborn was a New England abolitionist. He was a Harvard graduate, and he was a teacher at a transcendentalist school in Concord. So he, by all, you know, all, he was a transcendentalist, <laughs> which, which is gonna, which is gonna mean he's almost certainly a staunch abolitionist yes. by default. Yeah. Yeah. And so those of you who don't know what transcendentalism is, that's okay. I barely know what it is as well. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, they would probably argue that they only. <laughs> started to know what it was yeah 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 so the the quote-unquote internet definition of transcendental transcendentalism is a 19th century movement of writers and philosophers in new england who were loosely bound together by adherence to an idealistic system of thought based on a belief in the essential unity of all creatures Mm -hmm. the innate goodness of humanity and the supremacy of insight over logic and experience for the revelation of the deepest truths it, it's certainly in that like reform era of, of like kind of your your mid 1800s you know that, that as you're seeing kind of revival movements you know your second great awakening and this is kind of the um uh, not religious piece of that but the spiritual side spiritual, of that. Yeah. you know let's get in touch with nature and i mean the, the two big ones that you always think of would be your ralph waldo emerson's and your david thoreau's and you know you think of like uh, self-reliance Walden is the famous mm-hmm. book right uh, and I believe I don't know if it's both of them or, or which one it is Thoreau or Emerson but you know one of them joins one of those utopian societies um, oh yeah, uh, yeah they join I think Brook Farm uh, that sounds of, right and and I, I think I want to say it's David Thoreau joins Brook Farm this utopian society of of you know northern because Waldo's the one that lives in like nature right they both have that kind of that that mm-hmm. they both kind of venture out there and i I believe like thoreau starts starts it and the first time he has to like (laughs) dig something with a shovel quickly decides that it's not for him and goes i'm gonna head out (laughs) and i'm I'm gonna dip like it's not 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 my lifestyle um but i mean but talk about you know a a movement that really generalized the 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 new england northeastern united states um and and really forever changed like American writing. I mean, you, you wouldn't have seen, you know, great American novels of the 20th century had it not been for the transcendentalists of the 19th, right? Um, and I, so I assume, uh, you know, this is obviously before television, and so books are, uh, they're the actors of the day, right? They're, that, that is, they're celebrities, right? And so when you have these celebrities who are anti-slavery, right, that's also going to grow awareness, I would assume, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was no secret that these guys were were anti-slavery and and they're gonna start to form their little posse around john brown um we won't necessarily talk about emerson and thoreau today but they will too make an appearance really? in, uh, in episode Great. three yeah. uh so so brown he uh he forms this relationship with sanborn um he visits him in connecticut 
because Sanborn is acting as the secretary of Massachusetts State Kansas Committee. Mm. So he's involved in this free state movement of making sure that Kansas um, becomes free state. And he actually becomes Brown's like speaking and manager and social liaison. And so his agent. Yeah, basically he, he's <laughs> yeah. his agent. And Brown um, has now built a reputation in Kansas. Okay. You know, Osawatomie Brown. Right. He is uh, putting it up against slavery. And so he goes on speaking engagements. So he, he tours basically the Northeast, yeah. speaking about what happened in Kansas in his time. And Sanborn is his manager. Um, and it's here, and, and this will make another appearance in the historiography, but you're going to start to see Brown be compared to some leading Puritans because, you know, Brown himself, Calvinist, uh, very tied to the Puritan community. So yeah. like Miles Standish. Yeah. Um, so he was a leader of the Plymouth Colony, right. basically like their their leading military commander. Right. And the one and only Oliver Cromwell. Yeah. Um, and so he, he's very much this Cromwellian and Standish figure. Or at least that's how he's being portrayed in the Northeast. And, and certainly him being so religious and so dedicated. I mean, this is really going to... I mean, they're going to eat this stuff up. Absolutely. Because the, the Second Great Awakening is all about the emotional sermon. And talk about a guy who, at nauseum, could give sermons, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and I mean, you think of his prison letters, right? I mean, like, those are... Those are those are books of passionate words, and so I'm sure he, I'm sure he could fill up an audience. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. He you give him a time slot, and he's taking every second of it. <laughs> um, and so Brown Brown has some success. Um, he's able to um, save up enough to have 200 Sharps rifles and ammunition, um, and so he then goes to Iowa. Now that he's uh, secured some some weapons, him and his son Owen, um, they they kind of create a base in iowa to store those weapons and they're going to start to train some men okay um and now once again here's where brown's kind of failed business practices come back to light uh <laughs> he, he maybe he kind of leaned into those cromwellian examples a little bit too much okay. uh, because he spent a lot of his initial money that he earned on that first tour to have custom cromwellian pikes made <laughs> Uh, and then when it came time to pay the due, he, he didn't have enough money to yeah. pay the balance. So yeah. those pikes were withheld from him. Uh, some other kind of risky financial business practices is uh, he, he hired a man named Hugh Forbes, who was a British fencing teacher. He hired him to create a manual on guerrilla warfare. And no he, he was in charge to drill his men. Um, and so in <laughs> Iowa... You know, so this is the definition of high, of, of high overhead. Like, yes, it's, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so Forbes creating a manual on guerrilla warfare, uh, training Brown's men. Um, it's here in uh, 1857 in Iowa that Brown really starts to establish his Harper's Ferry plan. Um, and one of the first people that he lets in on it is Forbes. Okay. Um, and and this is gonna this is gonna be important because him and Forbes are gonna disagree with the plan, and uh, Forbes is ultimately going to leak part of this plan to the public wow um by the summer of, of 1859 or sorry 1857 while while brown is preparing his crusade against kansas um things are starting to actually cool down in kansas by this point uh the free state forces have kind of gained control your lecompton people are kind of yeah. kind of slowing down here yeah and so even though brown returns in 1857 it's not the same kansas that it was right and so he's only really able to recruit nine men back uh, to Iowa to, you know, to prepare for his escapades. 
Um, and so they spend the summer of 1857-1858 in Iowa drilling and training. Um, and now in, in beginning of 1858, Brown is once again going to go on tour in the Northeast. Um, he first visits Frederick Douglass, you yeah. know, a person who he had met a decade earlier. Um, so, I mean, he, he it's fair to say he's friends with Frederick Douglass. Yes. Uh, they definitely share correspondence, correct? I mean... Absolutely. Um, both on the same cause. Obviously, uh, Brown just a little bit more radical. Right. You know, Frederick Douglass is, is definitely tiptoeing that line. Right. Um, you know, as, as you would imagine, a, a, a free black man would have to do Absolutely. Yeah. In, in the 1850s. So he visits Douglass in Rochester, New York at his home. Um, and they once again kind of share, Brown shares his plans. Um, and, and this is what fascinated me. And, and I, I should state that a lot of this context that I'm getting this specifically specifically the details is coming from a book called uh, Midnight Rising okay. by Tony Horwitz, the late historian. Um, excellent book on John Brown if, if you you know want to really get into it. And before reading this book, I, I didn't really have any understanding on how complex and how nuanced I stole your words, you see that? Okay, how nuanced <laughs> Brown's, uh, Brown's plans really were. And so he wasn't flying by the seat of his pants. He, uh, he had plans. And part of those plans was to write a constitution because for Brown, he, he wasn't just waging a war against slavery. He was essentially creating a new revolutionary state in the uh, mountains of Virginia. So this, this does explain, I mean, you know, I think we mentioned, I, don't know, I actually don't know if it was even during the podcast, but you mentioned how, you know, in, in the 60s, your, um, your more revolutionary activists, people like Malcolm X, right, the Nation of Islam, you know, they're talking about, you know, the only way to level the playing field to to make the white and the black man equal considering what has happened is to create a separate state you know the idea of black separatism right you're very much your your, your marcus garvey you know mentality right and uh i know malcolm x is going to look at john brown for inspiration and so uh, talk about a guy who is uh i mean we talked about how he had been inspired by a radical Nat Turner, right? And now he's inspiring later radicals also. Yeah, there's a, there's i I'm going to butcher the Malcolm X quote, but something along the lines of like the only uh, white man who knows like the black man's cause or something is John Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Malcolm but, X. Yeah. 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 But yeah, you're definitely seeing um, a more radical idea. Yeah. And, and of course, Frederick Douglass isn't fully on board yet. Um, but John Brown planning to create a revolutionary state in the mountains of Virginia, mm. Um, as he attacks slavery. So, 1858, he's continuing to, to tour the Northeast, and it's at this point that his circle around him becomes very influential. Okay. We already talked about Franklin Sanborn, okay? Right. Five other men are going to join up with Brown, and they're going to be known as his Secret Six. Uh, awesome name, right? Great name, dude. John Great Brown name. has a... A secret six and these are men who are going to finance his conspiracy okay you know to to overthrow now, Harper's how Ferry. do we know who they are how secret we do are, how secret so, are they like, are they <laughs> weren't very secret okay. <laughs> so because already we're hearing about leaks and yes like, <laughs> yes uh so franklin sanborn is one uh thomas wentworth higginson he was a militant minister um, he was actually the mentor of Emily Dick Dickinson. Go figure. So that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, the third is Theodore Parker. He was a transcendentalist and a radical Boston minister. Okay. So we have two ministers there. Yeah. Samuel Gridley Howe. Okay. Uh, this guy is interesting. He fought in the Greece Revolution 
in the 1830s. Wow. He aided Polish insurgents fighting Russia. Um, and his wife is the famous Julia Ward Howe, who wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic, oh. which that'll come up again in, in episode three. Okay. Um, and then the fourth is George Luther Stearns. He was a, a self-made magnate, a very wealthy man. Um, he's going to provide a lot of the money and the guns. Uh, for instance, he gives Brown like 200 revolvers at one time. Um, and then the last we've already talked about, Garrett Smith. Yeah. Smith was uh, the leading abolitionist who Brown had uh, done dealings with, and uh, it was his land that that Brown was helping with that uh, the freemen up in up in Upper State New York. So, uh, Sandburn, Higginson, Parker, Howe, Stearns, and Smith make up the secret six of uh, abolitionists who are going to provide money and weapons to Brown and his cause. It's, it's another great reminder of just how incredibly tense things are in this 1850s period. You know, you have on the other side, you know, they're making more of those slavery is a positive good arguments than ever before. You know, they're using pseudoscience, stuff like that to justify it. And so it, it's just a great reminder that like, you know, for your Northeasterners, right, they're, they uh, are not only thinking about a civil war, they're, they're actively promoting what's going to become the civil war right yeah um, and 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 giving i'm sure not a not a small amount of money you know to the 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 cause here you know um, and it, it definitely gives you a different perspective that you know the the road to the civil war began long before right. lincoln's election right yeah i mean i mean is is the civil war does it start in 1850 does it start yeah. completing kansas you know it, and it even, might not be 1861 right and even the southerners of you know pointing fingers at like you are attacking us is like you're not wrong here it's like they're actively arming against it so it it definitely shows the dynamic relationships of this period um so so brown has the backing now right he has influential uh men who are providing him with money and weapons he's riding on the coattails of his uh, celebrity from kansas to earn that and so now he's taking his radical plan of a you know militancy revolutionary state uh, of free peoples and he is continuing to recruit and the place that he's going to go is Chatham, canada okay mm. now this is uh if you look at a map it's it's not too far from detroit um so the border there and it was a terminus on the underground railroad so it's a pretty yeah. pretty well-known area um harriet tubman okay spent a lot of time in at chatham and so Brown and his 11 men that he has recruited from Kansas um, meet in May 1858 in Canada to, cru- to recruit more men. Um, and this is kind of believed to be one of the last stops okay. before uh, they engage at Harper's Ferry. All right. And it's here, and once again, I had no idea about this until I read this book, but it's here that they convened as like a constitutional convention. And uh, Brown is very open about they're using this place and this time to create his his new American government. Wow. And so he included the the, the black uh, members who were in attendance. Yeah. They were included as delegates. Yeah. And he describes to them his his plan of a, you know, guerrilla war in the mountains that would uh, w- what he believed would ultimately leave the slaved enslaved people of the region to rise up 
and join him in his fight against the southern state the man had plans i mean you definitely get a little you know obviously different issue here but you get a lot of the the seneca falls convention thing where you know we're 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 getting delegates of people who normally wouldn't be included as delegates you know and instead of women we're talking about freed black people and a lot of whom uh had been born in slavery in the united states and obviously ended up in canada and and, and via the underground railroad it, it speaks to like you know why is just getting to the north not good enough right i mean that compromise of 18 of 1850 i mean the 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 fugitive slave act right i mean the the and so i'm sure for them sitting in canada as they're writing this document for you know our new american government what a stark reminder of of why they might might need that the fact that they can't be safe in their their home country right and and so it's here that that brown reads aloud his quote-unquote provisional constitution and ordinances for the people of the united states and I just want to read kind of the preamble to yeah. this document. Um, so it states, whereas slavery throughout its entire existence in the United States is none other than a most barbarous, unprovoked, and unjustifiable war of one portion of its citizens upon another portion, we, citizens of the United States and the oppressed people, ordain and establish for ourselves the following provisional constitution mm. so he has a plan right then <laughs> this is it just combats the narrative that at least i grew up knowing you know of this fanatical madman right. who believed in a good cause but was you know really just flying by the seat of his pants right right it's, no there there is a plan here well, and the fact that he's raising this much money and he's going to different places and recruiting people. And I mean, I mean, it, it's obviously not, he didn't just show up, right? No. It, there's so much more going on. So it definitely combats that commonly held. And I, I'm, again, we get those, those connections to Carrie Nation, you mm-hmm. know, of, of another person who was incredibly intentional, but the historiography of this person has said the exact opposite. And, and, and the historiography is wrong in this case, right? Absolutely. So, so Brown follows that uh, forty-eight articles about the command structure. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so you so you start you have a preamble that is is beautiful, right? Right. And then it's a little bit more of a mess. Right. So yeah, you have forty-eight it's, articles. It's probably longer <laughs> than the actual constitution. I think it like, is. Yeah. Uh, in, in Brown's constitution, he he uh, describes a weak president and a weak Congress, okay. and a strong commander in chief. So very militant, right? Uh, it's no surprise that. After reading this document out loud, and when they vote, uh, he is elected the commander in chief. Huh, okay. Um, and some of the black delegates were elected as, um, you know, senators and congressmen, things yeah. like that. Uh, but most of the black attendants were very skeptical. So when it came time at the end of the meeting to actually, you know, put names on paper, who's going to follow, only one recruit out of this whole thing um and that's a man named osborne anderson uh he was born in pennsylvania as a free man um and so despite kind of the the show of this uh chatnam convention uh only only one new recruit and it really is going to put a damper on on Brown, who wanted to launch his attack right away. Should also note that Harriet Tubman did not show up like he had planned. Wow. Um, he thought that she was going to be there to quote unquote hive the bees, right, to help him in right. his uh, in his uh, recruiting. And I want to get a callback for those of you who listen to episode one, um, the show um, 
Good Lord Bird. Yeah, yeah. That was on uh, Showtime. I think they do a pretty good job of portraying this. Uh, they do portray this in the show. They do, yeah. Um, I believe Harriet Tubman shows up in the show, but does she, show she up. wasn't actually there in real life. But I, I think in the show, even she she does mention that she's not going to participate. Yeah. that it was a bridge too far. Um, but but certainly, I mean, that would be a little deflating. And I mean, I mean, she they're calling her Moses. She's the face. Right? Yeah, she's the face, right? And she's being called Moses by people who uh, they don't use the Bible as allegory. They live the Bible mm-hmm. because it's their only chance of, of 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 hope, right? And so to call somebody Moses is a very real term right and so he he lacks her 100 percent support he's lacking frederick douglas's 100 you know percent support right, so right. so that's going to kind of bring a lot of skepticism amongst the black community i'm guessing it's it's you know and, and i don't think we should judge these people who don't who who want to participate but aren't willing to to join up in this 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 militia i mean we shouldn't be too hard on them i don't think because no. i mean we are talking about a time in the United States where, I mean, look, slavery and the slavery system that is still intact in the 1850s is older than America is, well older than America, right? Um, over a century older, right? And, you know, cotton is king at this time. They, they're, they're calling, they're, they're, they're in Congress, they're, they're consistently calling the slave states the slaveocracy mm-hmm. because they have so much power. I mean, that's why Lincoln is anti-expansion because they have so much power if it gets any bigger right they're going to have so much so much support and so to say i john brown with your help i'm going to take on this slave this power. infrastructure yeah. that that even even the 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 transcendentalists in the north um are are benefiting off of right it, it is a daunting task right um and and i i understand why people would be like well i don't know about that you know yeah. i i we always hope in history you look back and you would be with John Brown there in Harper's Ferry, right? That you would, you know, put your body on a line there in Birmingham, Alabama, right? All those scenes. But sometimes I put myself in the shoes and I'm like, I don't know if I'm that brave, you know? Yeah. I don't know if I would have wanted to, to join up to to almost certainly be killed with Absolutely. John Brown, you know? Yeah, there's a lot on the line. And, Absolutely, yeah. And in, these, in this case, you know, maybe more for these black leaders than, than John Brown. Yeah. Um, so... His plan is gonna have some, some hardships. Okay, he he wants to launch his attack at Harper's Ferry right away. The lack of support in Canada hurts him. His inability to successfully manage financial issues is also a hindrance. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is, I mentioned Hugh Forbes, right? The guy he hired to train and create the manual. Forbes is gonna blackmail. Uh, John Brown. So <laughs> after disagreements and yeah, late yeah. payments and things like right, that, right. Forbes decides that uh, he's he's done with Brown. This is where he discloses part of Brown's plans, and he also discloses members of the Secret Six. Wow. And that is going to cause the Secret Six to seize their funding and go into hiding. Man. They're going to kind of cut off ties with Brown because you know they're afraid for themselves. Because right, right. you literally are talking about insurrection yeah yeah um and so there is a postponement in brown's plan in harper's ferry but brown doesn't lose hope um he's gonna send a man named john cook who he had met in kansas as a free state fighter he's one of those 11 men that are with brown he actually sends him to harper's ferry to do reconnaissance Mm. and so uh cook's mission is to kind of to learn the locals you know create um a story 
um, and, and basically get a feel for the situation. Now, in Harper's, Harper's Ferry, Ferry, I know you're going to talk about it, but I mean, it's it's uh, there, there's a lot of supplies there. Oh it's yeah, a, yeah, it's an armory. We didn't mention right? this. Yeah, it's an armory. Right, and, and so now, why specifically that armory? Why would um, you want to take that as this as this you know? Uh, as a starting point for your, your so logistically harper's ferry is located in uh northern virginia really basically it's right on the potomac river yeah. uh separating maryland and uh and virginia so uh to, to brown maryland or virginia is like the slave state right it right. is it is the slave power so there's there's a reason there um it is a federal armory um so there's weapons there it's in the mountains as well so there's the there's the support and the shelter, um, and and it is historically tied uh, to some influential families, George Washington's family. Hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about one of George Washington's uh, grand nephews who oh, yeah. lives in the region. Yeah. yeah. So so it is tied to some influential families, uh, but m- mainly because it's, it's the federal armory. Right. Um, is why he's going to attack there. So it's it's supplies you need, and it will make a statement. Mm-hmm. And the idea would be, and it's it's an attack this. on the federal government. Yeah. Right, right. So so it it is, it is a insurrection. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And so Cook is sent to uh to Harper's Ferry early, um, and now uh, Brown's going to return to Kansas. Hmm. He takes on the alias Shubal Morgan, and this is where he grows that iconic beard, yeah. that really long beard, yeah. to disguise himself. Um, and so throughout 1858, during this time, uh, basically the summer of 1858, he's trying to recruit more, more men in Kansas. Um, by this time, uh, the free staters had rejected the pro-slavery constitution, the Lecompton constitution's overthrown. Um, and so kind of like earlier, not as much fire in, in Kansas as there once was. Yeah. But nonetheless, he uses this as an opportunity to kind of re-elevate his status um, by chance, his men run into a, uh, a Missouri slave named Jim Daniels, who had told his uh, Brown's men that he was going to be sold. And so Brown and his men uh, travel across the border to Missouri, and they raided a farmhouse and liberated 11 slaves at gunpoint. Okay. Uh, one of the slave owners was shot dead. They carried off oxen, horses, food, clothes, materials. They took two white hostages. Uh, this is going to really engulf the news and and kind of reignite flames between these new Kansans and these and these Missourians. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's so bad that President Buchanan at the time is actually going to offer a reward for Brown's capture. Um, and so he is a runaway in Kansas. They avoid federal marshals. I mean, it, it's even to a point where they're like face to face with some of these men but now brown has created such a reputation that simply just being there creates fear and these men like run away yeah um and yeah. so he's he's engaging with these convoys he's scaring them away yeah. um he, at this point he's, he's kind of a living legend um yeah. and he's he's reinvigorated his legacy already i do love and we mentioned this in episode one i i do love in the the, the good lord bird series uh how how they they show how how his legend has maybe um outgrown the man mm-hmm. right um and there's times where you know he's fighting against you know pro-slavery forces that could easily have destroyed his relatively small band of people but because he's the john yeah. brown right they 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 run away right? yeah it's, it's that it's that iconic just going boo yeah. <laughs> like scan <scandalous. laughs> exactly yes. it's, it's yeah. that humor so uh late 1858 early 1859 he's uh he's an outlaw in kansas 
you know, reinvigorating this reputation. Um, in February 1859, they, they leave Kansas. They go to Iowa. Um, and they take those liberated slaves and they send them to Canada. And an interesting side note, uh, one of those enslaved people was pregnant, gave birth, and named their child John Brown. Wow. Um, so the Missouri Rescue, as it's called, definitely reinvigorated uh, Brown and the Secret Six. So yeah. the Secret Six is going to resume their funding for Brown, and he continues uh, to lecture. This time he's in Ohio, uh, you know, some familiar territory for him. And he's going to, you know, promote his cause. Remember, at this point, James Buchanan has a, uh, has a, uh, basically a bounty on him, and and he Brown is said to have this famous quote that he would give two dollars and fifty cents for the safe delivery of the body of James Buchanan in any jail of the free states. <laughs> so back at you, Jimmy. How much is two fifty back then? Oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna figure that out. <laughs> Look not, at inflation. It's not, it's not much, right? It's, no. Yeah, yeah. Look at the inflation. Uh, so yeah, he's uh, he's collecting funds uh, from Garrett Smith. Uh, he's speaking in fr- uh, northern states. He makes it back to Concord, to New England, uh, getting more money. And finally, he has the money to pay for those Cromwellian pikes that he ordered. So, <laughs> so he still gets the pikes. Uh, so he huh? gets the pikes in the end. Okay. Uh, so he gets the pikes. And so by July of 1859, Brown has the money, the backing, and he's got some men, and, and he's ready to uh to go back to he's ready to go to harper's ferry he's ready to commit yeah 29 dollars 29 dollars hey 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 <laughs> 29 <laughs> for the head of a president is <laughs> probably, probably could be a little more it's actually a really good joke when you think yeah. about it it's actually it's a really funny joke it's, uh, um so yeah. ironically on july 4th 1859 independence day yeah uh brown and his men arrive in maryland uh, they begin looking for their lodgings as they plan this uh, this insurrection. Now, at this point, Brown's alias is Mr. Isaac Smith. Uh, and Smith is accompanied by a couple of his sons. Um, and it, here they, they rent a farm five miles from Harper's Ferry yeah. known as the Kennedy Farm. It's really funny to think about that because we think of this Harper's Ferry thing. It's funny to think that, like, you had to set up before. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you can't just, like, hop and, and you can't just get on a plane and just do an insurrection, right? Like, you would, you know, in 2021 on January 6th, for example, <laughs> right? <You'd, laughs> you know, yeah. for example. Uh, but but you would, you have to be like, all right, so we got to get there. We got to. It's like, you know, all the, the same way we would pack for a vacation, except for you're probably not coming back from this vacation. Yeah. And remember, it's, the, the, it's, Harper's Ferry is just the starting point, right? right that's that's, yeah, that's yeah. to get the weapons. And then you're going into the mountains of Virginia right. and you got to yeah. you got to liberate and hold. So. You just yeah. think like you know, like they ask you like business or pleasure, like that's eh, complicated. <laughs> <Ooh, we're both. laughs> so yeah, July fourth, they arrive in Maryland. Uh, they rent the the Kennedy Farm, and it's here at the Kennedy Farm that for the next couple months, that men are slowly going to start to uh, kind of trickle in. And so by the time that that Brown actually engages at Harper's Ferry, twenty one men are going to join him. Uh, five of them are going to be black men. Three are going to be his sons, uh, Watson, Oliver, and Owen. Okay. And two of his daughters, uh, his daughter Annie and his daughter-in-law Martha, who's the wife of Oliver, are actually going to spend time at the Kennedy farm. Um, so just to highlight a couple of the men right now, uh, we already talked about John Cook, the one that he sent on reconnaissance. Right. 
Um, he had become acquainted with the locals and he even married his landlady's 18 year old daughter. So he now has a Southern bride. Um, another leader in Brown's plan is a man named John Henry. I believe it's pronounced Kagi, K-A-G-I. Um, he's going to be Brown's second in command and he's going to stay in Chambersburg, Maryland, um, where there's a big railroad uh, depot. And uh, it's his job to enlist the help of local blacks to, quote unquote, receive company and freight. So they're going to have men and, and weapons come in from Maryland and then slowly make it to the Kennedy farm and then ultimately use those uh, in Harper's Ferry. It seems like an incredibly important part of this plan. Like, yeah. That needs to happen, right? Yeah, you need yeah. it and you got to keep yeah. the secrecy. Um, and so Brown um, explains his plan. All the men were against T- attacking Harper's Ferry, actually. Um, so they had kind of all c- followed him, knowing an idea that, you know, we're, we're oh. going to go liberate slaves. But once so he they actually. No, it was going to be Harper's Ferry. Yeah. Wow. So once he actually disclosed that it was Harper's Ferry, most of his men uh, disagreed. Cook and KG actually supported Brown. And uh, they were able to, to get everyone on board. Uh, kind of an interesting note of Brown's character. During these discussions, he actually resigned as "quote unquote" commander, but was reinstated five minutes later. Five minutes later. Uh, now, one of the concessions he had to make with his men was in the plan. He had to agree that they would burn the railroad bridges um, because his men were really worried about federal troops yeah. arriving. Because you're talking about you're not very far from DC, no, um, and no. so they were really worried about that. Uh, but and, and you, you have, I mean, this is you know this is pre-secession, and so I mean you have like the likes of like Jeb Stewart and mm-hmm. Robert E. Lee, the guys who are going to show up later in the story, you know, who are very competent, you know, uh, commanders, right. Who are in the neighborhood. Yeah, and yeah. So, you know, let's, let's stop all means for them to get here. Cause you know? you're, you're in enemy territory, right? Um, and so Brown, he, he gives into that concession because he ultimately wholeheartedly unequivocally 100% believes that black leaders and slaves will come to his aid once they initiate contact yeah. and and once they initiate the conflict um and so like i said july august they're in maryland they're planning um in august of 1859 it's actually quite interesting uh frederick Douglass, uh according to a letter you know receives a letter from brown and actually meets him in chambersburg in maryland mm-hmm. and here's where brown gives kind of the 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 final draft of the plan yeah and they show this in the once again the good lord bird they do, uh, yeah, yeah. series and and douglas actually opposes the plan it's he believed that the attack would quote unquote array the whole country against us yeah um he believed that it would alienate you know the black cause and they actually argue they actually talk for like the whole day they go back and forth yeah. um and he believed that brown and his men would be surrounded in harper's ferry you know, they would be picked off. In hindsight, Douglas was right. Yeah, right? he was but, right. Well, and, and Douglas, you know, has been on this this war of words for, for quite some time now. I mean, he's the most, you know, sought after speaker in the United States. And, you know, as a as a freed man uh, in, a, in an era where, where freed men are, are in danger. Right. And so, you know, for him, he probably feels like, you know, uh, the risk of Brown is that, you know, you could really have all of this pro- decades of progress in building these abolition coalitions, you know, who are willing to help free slaves, but not necessarily help, you know, kill, you know, soldiers, mm-hmm. right? Um, he would really feel like this is all at stake. Yeah, right? all the hard work, years, you know, yeah. gone in an instant. Yeah. 
Um, but but Brown is he believes in his cause. Like I said earlier, he believes that the black community will come to his aid. He also believes that you know by kidnapping prominent citizens and holding them hostage, that that would provide enough protection um, against being surrounded. Um, he quote unquote said, "When I strike, the bees will begin to swarm, swarm, and I shall want you to help hive them." Hmm. But Douglas does ultimately decline. Now, an interesting uh, part of this meeting is is Douglas was accompanied by a fugitive slave named Shields Green. Awesome name. Okay. Um, and Shields Green actually chooses to stay with Brown. Wow. Um, and so he's got a new recruit. Another prominent recruit, uh, another prominent black commu- uh, recruit, another awesome name, Dangerfield Newby. Oh, I know this name. Yeah. Dangerfield yeah. Newby. Uh, he had uh, learned about Brown's cause uh, in Ohio and traveled down to, uh, to Harpers Ferry. He was 40 years old. He was freed in 1858, um, but his wife and ch- uh, children were still enslaved in Virginia. And so his idea was he, he wanted to earn money to buy them, but their their owners refused. Uh, and so... Uh, classic story. Yeah, yeah. So in August, he met Brown's men in Ohio before they came, and, and he joined them. Um, and so we got a couple new recruits. And and just another, another layer to, to this plan is uh, when Brown and his men are at the Kennedy farm, Brown drafts what's called the Declaration of Liberty by the representatives of the slave population in the United States of America. Um, he based it on the Declaration of Independence, you know, very much like our uh, Seneca Falls. Right, right. Uh, and it, one of the key points was, uh, quote unquote, to secure equal rights, privileges, and justice to all, um, irrespective of sex. Right. Um, it's called for punishing of those guilty of oppressing their fellow men. Yeah. So once again, you're seeing, um, you're seeing documentation yeah. um, to kind of be put in place once all of this is he set is, in stone. You know, for all of all of all of this and all that's about to happen, I mean, John Brown is someone who very much wanted his cause to be understood. Yeah, you know, I mean, I and and he left. He leaves a paper trail. He really and because he wants people to, and I think this kind of goes back to like you know. Did he know he would be a martyr, right? Did he know he would die for the cause, right? Because he he definitely lays a trail that you can retrace and understand why did John Brown choose to do this, right? Um, where I mean, he could have done some of these things without such the paper trail. So the fact he is tells me maybe he knew he might go down with the ship. I, I think you're 100 right, and I also find it very interesting that you know you, we've talked a lot about you know, the American Revolution being unfinished and how there were these great ideals that were never fully realized. And right. you can see Brown trying to achieve this here. You know, he's he's taking the Constitution, he's taking the Declaration of Independence, right. and he's just pushing it a few steps further to to ideally what it, what it should have been. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, these ideas are, are being out in the open with his men. Um, a couple other recruits join right at the end of the, the planning and setup stages. Um, and these are two African-American men, Louis Leary and uh, John Copeland. They were uncle and nephew. They were both free blacks from North Carolina who were recruited in Ohio. Um, I'm sure I'll mention this later, uh, but Louis Leary is going to be the husband of um, 
Langston Hughes's grandmother. Really? So so not Langston Hughes's grandfather. It was her first husband. Her first husband. So there's a tie there. Absolutely. Yeah. Harlem Renaissance. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and you know Langston Hughes is uh, he was born in Missouri, but uh, I think Joplin, so just right across the border. But Langston Hughes's father was born in Kansas. Yeah. So there's that connection to, yeah, I to think us here. Johnson Brown. I think um, Johnson, Johnson Brown. I, I just can buy. You know what I did there. <laughs> Langston Hughes. I think does write about John Brown, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he does. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we've got new recruits, especially we got African American recruits coming. Um, we have more documentation of these ideas. Now we're just waiting for for the right time. Right. And the plan is is prepared to go down on on October sixteenth, eighteen fifty nine. Um, so on October 16, 1859, um, the men prepare for the raid. Uh, Brown's son Watson is commissioned as a, capsa- a captain. Uh, you know, in very ceremonial fashion, they read that constitution out loud. They make pledges of loyalty, yeah. um, and they start to make the final preparations. Three men of the 21 are assigned to stay and protect the weapons at uh, the Kennedy Farm. Okay. That would include Owen Brown um, because he had a crippled arm. Okay. Francis Miriam um, was another recruit who had showed up. Uh, he was very sickly, so they left him behind. Okay. And then Barclay Coppock had bad lungs, and mm. so he was uh, stationed there as well. Yeah. So the plan, the Harper's Ferry plan, um, Charles Kidd and John Cook would go ahead and uh, go ahead of the group and cut telegraph lines. John Henry Kagi and Aaron Stevens would mm. seize the night watchmen on the railroad bridge of the Potomac. And the plan was once in Harper's Ferry, they would seize bridges, the U.S. Armory and Arsenal, and surrounding plantations. Mm. So basically, from the Kennedy Farm in Maryland, you would use the railroad bridge to cross the Potomac. There would would be a guard at either side of the railroad bridge. And then uh, take control of the railroad. And then once you were in Harper's Ferry, there was like a prominent hotel like right there. So there were some posts that you had to get control of. Okay. So you, you kind of cut off communication. Then you can kind of focus on where you actually are, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and Brown said to his men before they left, uh, quote, unquote, you all know how dear life is to you. You all know how dear life is to you and how dear your life is to your friends. Do not, therefore, take the life of anyone if you can possibly avoid it. But if it is necessary to take life in order to save your own, then make sure work of it. Okay. So they're willing to to do anything by all means necessary, right? This is interesting. I mean, and 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 I, I went, maybe this is just my misunderstanding, but like you know, he has left a body count. Yes. You know, and and I and maybe he did say things like that at you know uh, Pasquale or whatever. You know, um, in the 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 Missouri liberation campaign he did right. Um, but I mean, it seems like he's maybe used some indiscriminate firepower at times. Yeah. And so he, he might be all talk sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so maybe he just, maybe he just has to say that for him. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, you know, I, th- I love my, I love me some John Brown, but I, at times I do think maybe he likes to hear himself talk. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, take some of his words with a grain of salt, but you know, um, you know, try not to kill anyone if you can. You know, we're here for the weapons. Right. Is, is what the I ultimately step. think he, he yeah. wants to accomplish here. Yeah. Um, so by midnight of, uh, it's now October 17th, the men had captured the night watchmen on the railroad bridge. They had broken into the armory and they had seized the watchmen there. 
However, there were some issues that occurred on the bridge. Um, a man named Patrick Higgins, he was a, uh, I believe it's the Baltimore and Ohio night watchman. Um, he arrives at his post at midnight um, and realizes uh, that there are two men there. He's confronted. Um, when he's confronted by those men, well, he also realized that the previous guy had not clocked in. Right. They had to like move a key or something every 30 it was minutes. Like a, yeah, old school clock in yeah. system. Yeah. And he realized that the clock hadn't been moved for like an hour and a half or something. It's physically a clock in, I believe. Yeah. That's where that term comes from. And so he's then confronted by two of Brown's men. Um, and his instinct, his instinct was flight, yeah. not fight. <laughs> and so he actually runs and he dove through the window of the nearby hotel called the, the Wager House Hotel. Okay. And this created kind of the first alarm that something was going on. Um, by 1.25 a.m., the express cha- train from Wheeling to Baltimore arrives on the platform by the uh, Wager House Hotel. Um, they were warned that there were men on the bridge, and so the conductor of the train and four of his men investigated. Mm-hmm. That's when they were confronted by uh, some of Brown's men, and unfortunately, here in the confusion, there was a, a free black baggage master clerk mm. named Hayward Shepard who uh, was shot in the back. Okay. So there was confusion. Uh, they were confronted and they ran and, and Shepard was ultimately shot. And so uh, the first casualty of Brown's raid is actually a black man. Yeah. So there's a, there's some irony right. there. And, 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 and do, do we know, did, did they shoot? Did they fire the shot? The they did. Gun, one of, okay. one of yeah. his men did fire the shot yeah. um, in, a, in a panic. Yeah. Um, and and this, this death of Shepard How, uh, Hayward is going to be interesting in the historiography. Because yeah. um, you, you see that used against John Brown, um, especially by Southern, Southern historians sure. in, in yeah. the early period. So um, they use that, you know, that irony. Um, and so a gunfight does ensue between the Raiders and the men at the hotel. And so by this point, you're talking like 1.30 a.m. Yeah. They've only been in it for an hour and a half. Like right. the, the alarm has been raised. The plan's already off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John, uh, John Cook and the men and his men who had gone to uh, cut the telegraph wires, their job is now to seize hostages. Mm. And so the first place that they arrive is a plantation called uh, Bel Air. It's a 760-acre estate of Lewis Washington. Okay. This is the great-grandnephew of George Washington. And in the show, they make him very pompous, which yes. I love in The Good yes. Lord Bird. He's very, you know, he's he is not the um, the uh, the battlefield general, you know. The, and that's uh, kind of the vibe I got from reading this okay. as well. Um, kind of, he's definitely riding on the reputation of, of his great-uncle George. Um, and so John Cook actually had, had met uh, Washington prior uh they kind of had a little relationship they knew who each other were and so when cook shows up in the middle of the night uh washington's very confused uh they seize his weapons and there are some interesting weapons that they seize uh one of them is a pistol that was given to george washington by the marquis de lafayette um and then another that they take is a dress sword that was given to washington by king frederick the great of Russia. oh my goodness so there's some uh some serious some artifacts serious, here some yeah. serious weapons here yeah. they also seize carriages four horses a farm wagon and several male slaves and so uh washington is the first of the hostages 
They stop at another nearby plantation of a man named John uh, Allstadt. They seize him, his 18-year-old son, seven more male slaves. Um, and those men were taken to the armory, to the guardhouse, uh, which Brown and his men had seized quite easily. Okay. Uh, and so the slaves were armed with those Cromwellian pikes, yeah. and now uh, they're just standing guard and waiting for the plan to unfold. Do <laughs> you, think, you think it's like... Obviously, like, you know, uh, you know, it's a fierce weapon, right, that can certainly be, be used for lethal means. But do you think there's, like, part of them that's like, like is this what we have? Like, <laughs> yeah. this is, like, a 12-foot like, bike? Like, I mean, it, it would be like if, if I showed up to, to something, like a Harper's Ferry situation now with a musket. You'd be yeah. like, like, where'd you, like, where'd you find a museum? Like, yeah. where'd you get that yeah. from? You know, like, you know, or slingshot. Like, they're custom. Like, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're custom, yeah. So, 6.30 a.m., um, the bells of the armory did not ring. Which, for any residents who had not realized something was wrong, was a big red flag. Uh, Brown had taken the employees who were reporting to work a prisoner. Um, and by this time, Brown and his men are, are starting to kind of negotiate with the railroad men because they're okay. the ones that know what's going up. Um, so Brown met with a man named Andrew Phelps, who was the conductor of the B&O Railroad. Um, he confirmed uh, it was safe for the railroad to cross the Potomac. And that was a bad move. He should have never let the railroad leave the station because now, now, now they can get the message even faster. Exactly, because right. they cut yeah. the, they cut the telegraph wires, right. and so um, the railroad's able to relay the events uh, via wire when it arrived at its next stop. So, like the the town and the surrounding area had already smell started to smell fish, right? Yeah. But but now, I mean, everyone's gonna know. It's yeah, it's gonna be in the papers. Yeah, I mean, and so uh, once that wire is sent, uh, the train was met with journalists in Baltimore who then telegraphed the news like back to DC. And so, uh, is there any, any reason why this lapse in judgment, this, I mean, cause, cause this, this kind of goes against their entire plan. Yeah. I, I honestly think it's just poor planning. Yeah. Poor judgment. Yeah. Um, and so news is now, uh, slipping out. And now that people of Harper's Ferry are, are, are waking, yeah. they're realizing that something's going up. Um, by 7am there was a local grocer named Thomas Borley. Uh, he'd been confronted by a neighbor, uh, and the neighbor had stated that he'd been confronted by men with guns. And so they grab their guns and they go to confront the Raiders. Uh, Borley is going to be shot and killed. Uh, and that's just going to continue to stir the residents of Harper's Ferry. Yeah. Um, another example of just like poor execution of this plan is Dr. John Starry, S-T-A-R-R-Y, or Starry. Uh, he had tended to Hayward Shepherd. Uh, the man, the first casualty. And after that, he, he jumps on a horse and he sounds the alarm. He goes to Charleston, yeah. Um, yeah. which is today in West Virginia. And so you have the news being spread out. While all this is happening, you still have John Cook, Charles Tidd, William Lehman, and five of the liberated slaves. Uh, they're now going to Maryland to retrieve the weapons from um, a nearby, uh, from the Kennedy farm. And they're going to start to store them in a in a local school building. Okay. Um, and they're and they're trying to seize more slaves. Um, but you really need now. I mean, yeah, you, you, you run need out people of time. now because I mean the, the the federal troops are coming. I mean, and it's interesting. Like they get to the schoolhouse and like school's in session. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> yeah. they basically like kick all the kids and the teacher out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. School's out for summer. Yeah. yeah, it's just really really bad planning. Yeah. Um, by ten a.m. A hundred volunteers had gathered at Charlestown. So basically, the the guy on the horse made it there. 
volunteers are gathered um, and at 11.30 the Charlestown mob is in Harper's Ferry and they've joined up with a local mob of about 150 men. Way more than yeah. that are in Harper's yeah. Ferry. So you I have mean, 18 plus these new liberated slaves right. versus 150 and it's 11, it's not even noon, it hasn't even been 12 right. hours. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I mean, so, just, it, it really is just a plan that falls flat and I mean, and truly like decades of of talk and planning and, and, and maybe, I mean, there might be something to, you know, does the, uh, does the person who's been preaching about this necessarily make that same person a great commander for this? You know, not necessarily, you know what I mean? Is, is John Brown so pious that maybe, you know, he assumed those biblical allegories would just help out and fix the, the missing parts of his plan, you know? Um, I don't know. Hey, I, man. He, he read a lot of books on guerrilla warfare. Right. And Everything he, that he could get his hands on. He hired a guy, you know? Yeah. And so it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point. It doesn't make you an expert, right? Right. You, another reason why you got to surround yourself with strong people yeah. that know what they're doing. So uh, 1130, there's already a mob of 150 people. And they actually, you know, the the men in Harper's Ferry had a little bit of an advantage, right? Because they were on this side of the Potomac. Sure. But they allowed this this new mob to flank them oh. and to cross the Potomac um, uh, and to attack the railroad from the Maryland side. Yeah. Uh, they have snipers that are occupying tall buildings. They so take as control. As soon as you step out, it's yeah. done. I they mean, take it's... control of the Shenandoah Bridge, which they did not destroy the bridges like he yeah. planned to do. Yeah. And so uh, at the same time, there's heavy mist, there's rain. Uh, Brown's men have no choice but to abandon the the railroad bridge, and so by doing this, Brown's men in Maryland are now cut off right from the men in Virginia and Harpers right. Ferry. No way to even resupply your very small group. Yeah. yeah, and so you have a group of his men that are in the armory in the arsenal yard, and now you have men in tall buildings who are 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 vulnerable. Right, and one of the first casualties is Dangerfield Newby. Oh man, and he's actually quite a gruesome death is shot through the neck with a crude slug or spike oh. that had been like attached to some yeah. sort of and so he gets killed and he he's in such a vulnerable position that none of brown's men can retrieve his body and so his body is then left and it's being mutilated by the townspeople because you know not only is this an insurrectionist but this is a black, black insurrection and i mean and and i mean i we don't want to be overly gruesome to our podcast listeners but they're i mean the the making an example of a of a slave who steps out i mean like i mean the the history's iffy but i mean there's there's some decent historic speculation that when nat turner is hung we know he's decapitated and there's some evidence that his skin was used to make like women's handbags oh god and so i mean and so there there's a long history of of making examples of 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 the black man who steps out of his place, right? Yeah. And, and you obviously have to draw parallels to your Emmett Tills, right, mm -hmm. of a century later. That's right? what I always think about. Yeah. And so, once again, the, the first one of Brown's men to die is a black man. Um, and so, you now have Brown's men retreat to the engine house that was in the, um, in the armory. That's where the hostages are being held. And Brown's going to start to use his, uh, the citizens that he had, he had captured to broker a ceasefire. Um, and so he, he has like a, a flag of truce and one of the men um, that's going to escort this is a man named William Thompson who is actually 
um, I might get this wrong. William Thompson has a family connection to Brown. William Thompson's older brother was married to one of Brown's daughters, and I believe one of Brown's sons was married to a Thompson's sister. So mm. William Thompson wasn't married, but through his family was right. connected. connected that way. And he has another brother there. Um, I can't think of his name, but there's another Thompson brother who's who's there with Brown. So William Thompson is is escorting this this flag of truce, and uh, Brown's got good faith. You know, he's yes, he's an insurrectionist, but he's he's playing by a, a code of chivalry that he believes. Right. Um, but the other the mob's not doing the same no, thing. No, no, no. Um, so Thompson is immediately seized and dragged into uh, the Wager House Hotel, and this is going to anger Brown. You right. know, he feels like he's being betrayed in this in this attempt of chivalry right. and so he tries for a second time yeah um to do a flag of truce this time it's going to be led by aaron stevens and his own son watson brown and so uh, they they're also going to be accompanied by the armory superintendent um a man named archibald uh, kitzmiller now almost right away as soon as they get in the street the the mob doesn't seize them they shoot at them hmm. And so Stevens and Watson Brown are both shot. Yeah. Uh, Watson Brown is able to crawl back to the engine house, but Stevens is captured. Okay, so now two of Brown's men have been captured. Run out of men here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1 p.m., William Lehman uh, attempted to flee. So one of Brown's men has now got cold feet, right? Yeah. He, he's, he can see the writing on the yeah. wall. And so he tries to flee, um, and so... Fling revolves, you know, running through the Potomac River, yeah. and he's pursued, he's caught, and he's shot dead. Yeah. Um, now, there are other, there's another group of Brown's men who are a little bit further down the road um, at Hall's Rifle Works, okay. where they had been holding that, uh, but they also see that they're kind of cut off, so they start to retreat. One of those was John Kagey, the yeah. leader. Uh, he's going to be shot and killed in the Potomac. Uh, Louis Leary, Okay, the, the husband of um, Langston Hughes' grandma is shot trying to flee. He will die 12 hours later. John Copeland, uh, Leary's nephew, is going to be captured. Uh, ben, uh, a, a slave named Ben, who belonged to uh, Allstat, one of the prisoners, is going to be captured. And another uh, slave, this one belonging to Washington, a man named Jim, is going to actually drown in the river while trying to escape. Wow. So you see an These attempt to flee, are, yeah. um, and you see uh, you see men, you know, paying with their lives. I mean, and these slaves obviously were, were in, and they were enslaved prior to this moment, and and now they're they're almost certainly going to going to shoulder the, the the blame here for this this insurrection they they got kind of. Yeah surrounded you know in, you this know. insurrection was brought to them they, right. they saw an opening an opportunity and absolutely and they took it absolutely um, yeah so then back at the engine house um a man named fontaine beckman he's the mayor of harper's ferry he's there to try to negotiate uh but he gets killed in a shooting and this is going to be important okay killing the mayor is a uh, kind of a tipping point for for this mob yeah. and so they they kill william thompson who they had Taken, taken in retaliation so yeah. um so one of brown's kind of extended family members has now been killed right uh, john cook who had been sent as uh, you know reconnaissance he attempted to provide support because he's on the other side of the river right um and so he starts shooting mm-hmm. firing his gun 
um, which is successful, draws some fire away from the engine house, and it actually spooks the citizens. They believe that Brown had way more men than, Bigger, yeah. than they thought in Maryland. So that's going to provide a little bit of relief. Um, Oliver Brown, who had been shot um, but made it to the engine house, dies of his wounds there. And so now you can you can imagine that Brown is is getting a little bit more I don't know how to getting it's it's a lot more the weight is a lot heavier now. He's definitely coming he, to he's terms losing with men with what people he loved and I mean, he's absolutely lo- his right. sons and right. yeah. Now, real quick, and I'm sure you get there um two things. First of all, the people who had taken the schoolhouse, are they just out of luck? Were yeah, they? so they they're across the river. They're in Maryland. They're okay. kind of a part of that John Cook group. Now, uh, they've been cut off completely. Does the mob know about them at this point? Nope. Okay. Just the just the fact that they hear the gunshots, so they think that, that the group is a little bit bigger. But okay. they, they don't know how many there are, right. where they are. They just know they're on the, the Maryland side of the river. Okay. And then second thing, at some point, the federal troops have to show up. Law enforcement, right? Yes. The mob yes. rule, right, is, is not going to you know fly here forever. So. Yep, you are like one one little step ahead of me. So, okay, okay. Um, so by this time, 4.30 to 5 p.m., um, both sides had agreed to stop fighting and to, and to parlay. Uh, Brown wants safe passage across the Potomac Bridge. Um, his request is denied. Um, they do, however, provide a surgeon to tend to Watson Brown's wounds. Mm. Um, but by night, the U.S. troops had arrived. Okay. And, and so, how, and this how, is, far, how far in are we at this point? I mean, this is this is August seventeenth. So you're talking you're almost a full 40, 24 hours yeah, a day. So um, yeah, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's very quickly. So um, that that telegraph that was sent by Andrew Phelps um, of armed abolitionists was interesting. Originally ignored. They thought it was an exaggeration because remember at this time armed abolitionists is not really a thing because yeah. remember gradual emancipation right, you know. is, is the norm and so interesting enough the that message wasn't actually forwarded to president buchanan until three hours later so <laughs> think about that the federal troops could have arrived much earlier much even earlier. though they still arrived yeah. pretty quickly i mean and i mean obviously this time that the constitution you know is is has this the commander-in-chief kind of baked in there but i mean the the president is a much smaller job um, but it, even it's just shocking that you, yeah. if any branch of, you know, your three branches would hear for it would be who the military reports to. It'd yeah. be the president. Yeah. So that's kind of shocking. Yeah. Three hours late, man. Um, the closest troops were 90 Marines that were housed in the Navy Yard in Washington, D.C. Um, however, there were some key individuals who, by circumstance, just happened to be in the area. Lieutenant Jeb Stewart yeah. uh, was on leave from Kansas. Yeah. Um, and happened to be visiting the War Department when the telegraph went through. Mm-hmm. Um, he offered to, to help lead the troops. And he he requested that they summon his friend's father, Colonel Robert E. Lee, whose plantation Arlington was, was right outside Washington. And so uh, Lee um, and Stewart, they reach Harper's Ferry around midnight on October 18th. So basically a full 24 hours um when when brown and his men first seized is when the army arrives 
and when Lee arrives, he, he automatically takes command of the soldiers that are there. And it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, Lee believed that the situation was overblown. He can read the writing on the wall. Yeah. You know, they at this point still don't know how many men Brown has. has. They still think it's hundreds. Right. But Robert E. Lee very quickly realizes that, no, they have the advantage that this situation is not quite what what they thought it was and he's well studied and he's seen combat i mean he's he's a, i mean there's a reason why lincoln wanted wanted him to lead the union Lincoln and winfield scott you know mm-hmm. both 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 of them are going to offer him the commission separately right yeah for good reason um don't want to mention uh i grew up watching at my my grandfather's house uh, a movie called santa fe trail i think it's 19 1940 i think 19 yeah 1940 does star a very young uh, Ronald Reagan as George Custer oh, nice. uh, and Errol Flynn as Jeb Stewart. Um, and it is about um, about their lives. Um, and then they both show up at, for the you know the famous uh, Harper's Ferry thing. With is Robert Custer e. here too? I think so. Yeah. Wow. I okay. think so. So just go figure. Um, and then at the very end of the movie, you know, in, in success, in succession, you see, you know, them kind of pick different sides. Right. Yeah. Uh, which is, which is interesting. Um, but what's interesting is like this is a 1940 movie that uh, takes a very different take you know it, it does paint john brown as a madman you know and if anything um it does it is kind of a lost cause movie because it kind of paints you know the 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 men who are going to fight ultimately for the confederate side you know as as heroes in that moment and you know as just overly uh, heroic in everything they do you know um so just wanted to mention uh, as you were as you were kind of telling the story of them showing up i'm like wait a second i've seen this but you know kind of from a, a an interesting interesting uh uh historiography historiography perspective yeah and this uh th- this whole research of, of john brown's story really solidified to me just how small the united states was yeah in this time sure how interconnected all of these people were um and so midnight it's now october 18th uh lee is there he takes control um and he demands that the the raiders surrender he promises protection while awaiting orders from the president okay but surrender um you have protection until we figure out what's going on um but lee his genius he planned an immediate assault once plans were uh rejected so his thing is okay we're gonna offer them to surrender and if they reject it we're not gonna give them any time to think we automatically go okay as soon as they say we reject and so at sunrise jeb stewart is sent with the demands to approach the uh the gatehouse now stewart recognizes brown from kansas their their paths did cross Mm. during their escapades and this is where Stewart realizes this is John Brown we're dealing with. Yeah. Because at this point, there had been rumors, but no one had confirmed that it was sure. actually Brown. Well, it's like we think we found the boogeyman. It's, yes. It's the boogeyman, right? And so Brown uh, is given the terms of surrender. He counters with an offer for a chance to escape. Okay. Like, let me run and then come get us. Like, this is a cat and mouse chase. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, uh, that is totally rejected Robert and so, like no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. and so 
according to, to Lee's plan, as soon as the rejection happened, the final assault engages. And okay. so this caught Brown and his men by surprise. Another example of like, they're, they're not, they're not soldiers. They're right? not. And so like, they don't understand that like, oh, this and, is to lure you out. And being a guerrilla soldier fighter is not the same as, as being a, a soldier in the U.S. Army. Right, right. And so 12 men burst into the engine house. Um, and by this point, Brown is really the only one committed to fighting. Um, everyone else is running or laying down their weapons. Yeah. Um, Brown is actually going to be wounded. Uh, one of the soldiers uh, finds Brown and starts to attack him. But by fate, the soldier forgot to use his, forgot to, to take his actual sword and only had his dress sword. And so it's a it's a lot more blunt, right? Oh my so, goodness! So John uh, Brown could have died at Harper's. He could Ferry. have died at Harper's yeah. Ferry. Uh, instead, he receives neck and chest wounds from the dress sword. Yeah. Um, he's beaten with the sword hilt and eventually captured. Um, which, like I said, otherwise he probably would have died. And pro- I would imagine probably would have wanted to die. You probably know, versus yeah. versus being you know a, a, a caged animal for the last few months of his life. I I, I would probably assume. Yeah, um, Jeremiah Anderson. Um, and Dauphine Thompson, that was the other Thompson brother, Good Dauphine. Name. Strong yeah. name, yeah. Uh, they're both going to be bayoneted. Oh, and and the accounts are like, they're bayoneted so hard, like they're stuck to the wall. Yeah. So a very, very gruesome way to die. Another reminder of like just what war looks like. Yeah. I mean. uh, Edwin Coppock and Shield Green, okay, the Shield Green, the man who traveled with Frederick Douglass, they're captured without injury. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Watson Brown, who had been shot, does eventually die from his wounds okay. a couple days later um so you see a lot more of brown's men die or are now captured yeah um in conclusion for the for the uh, insurrection itself it lasted a total of 32 hours okay yeah. and the final battle was a whopping five minutes yeah okay so yeah. it just told you how much um Leon has been dominated they did liberate slaves from their masters, but all of those were returned, yeah. apart from the, the few who died. Um, Brown and the other survivors thus became the prisoners of the state of Virginia. Okay. Uh, this is interesting because the governor at the time, Henry Wise, wanted to keep it in Virginia. Yeah. And he, even though this happened on federal property, right. he very much wanted to keep it as a crime against Virginia, and he wanted it to go as quickly as possible. He wanted to get this story done yeah. and over with. Yeah. Um, he... Governor Henry Wise's state was saying, uh, quote to Brown, he is a fanatic, vain, and garrulous, but firm and truthful and intelligent. Hmm. Well, and I think that's a reminder of just kind of where you mentioned how small the United States is. I mean, this is, you know, the role of the federal government is much smaller. You know, um, uh, the role and the power of, of state government is, is much more dominant, um, and particularly in the South, right? And so, you know, it really does kind of set up that, that question of federalism of, like, you know, it happened on federal land, but it's here. In, so who, who, who has yeah. authority here? Yeah, who has jurisdiction? Um, now, in 2022, it would absolutely be the United States government. There'd be absolutely. no question, right? But in this era, right, the governor has a lot of freaking power, right? Mm-hmm. Particularly from a, a dominant state like Virginia. Yeah, so Brown is captured, um, and he's interviewed by Wise... Uh, Governor Wise, he's interviewed by Robert E. Lee, he's, he's interviewed by Stewart, um, and Brown's quote was saying during those interviews that, quote, I think I did right, and that others will do right who interfere with you at any time and all times. I hold that the golden rule, I hold that the golden rule do unto others as you would that others should do unto you applies to all who would help others gain their liberty. 
So I have to imagine at this point in the story, you know, we have John and, and company in in federal, you know, in state custody, in state mm-hmm. custody, um, and there's obviously the guys who had been in the schoolhouse. Um, so I assume they're not going to just get off scot free. Some of them do. Really? Some of them do. Yeah, surprisingly. So there's a bit of a manhunt um, after the debacle, right? So. Uh, one of the men, uh, Albert Haslot, uh, Haslett, was a veteran of Kansas, um, and our friend Osborne An- uh, Anderson, he was the freedman that joined uh, from Canada. They actually escaped the arsenal that was across the street from the armory, and so they, uh, they made it across the river to Maryland, and then they booked it to Pennsylvania. Um, and they both get separated near Chambersburg, um, where the the railroad depot had been where they had been doing some of the you know moving the moving the guns and stuff so they get separated and uh hazlitt makes the mistake to go to the rittner boarding house and this is where uh, kg or kg had been receiving the cargo and he was captured so they had been able to to basically to track them to that area so hazlitt gets captured uh, Anderson is, is able to find shelter among free blacks and abolitionists in Pennsylvania, and he's actually going to travel back to Canada. Mm. So um, Osborne Anderson is one of the few that that makes it yeah. alive, and we'll talk more about him in part three okay. with the historiography because uh, he writes it down. Um, another bit of the manhunt, John Cook, okay, one of the leaders, Charles Tidd, they had been the ones at the schoolhouse uh, transporting the arms from the Kennedy farm. They were the ones who relayed news to the Kennedy farm right. and the three men there, uh, Owen Brown, Barkley, Coppock, and Francis Miriam, that basically John and John Brown and the men had been defeated. Right. And so the five of them traveled through the mountains of Pennsylvania to Pennsylvania. Um, just like Hazlitt, Cook becomes separated while looking for food okay. and also travels to Chambersburg. <laughs> That's kind of like right. a location they, yeah. they're familiar with. Yeah. Um, and Cook is captured. Um, and the rest of the men also go to Chambersburg thinking that Cook will be there. But those four men were actually warned by Mrs. Rittner to leave. Um, and so Miriam, Francis Merriam gets on a train, goes back to Boston. He survives. Uh, Kid Owen Brown and Barkley Coppock both seek shelter. They all seek shelter with Quakers. So I mean, this, and all this, survive as well. This larger movement, this new country they declared, this insurrection, this militia. I mean, it it it, it it's it's dead. It it's dies gone. at Harbor's it's, Ferry, it's, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, with you know a lot of the men, and so um, the manhunt fizzles out. You know, five of those men make it to 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 shelter. What a thing to say! Like you know. 30 years later when the civil war has already been fought and, and charges won't be brought now that, that you were there at Harper's You were there. Ferry, right? Yeah. yeah. You know? And so the attention focuses on the imprisonment and the trial, uh, mainly of, of John Brown. So, uh, Brown and the men are, are sent to Charleston, Virginia, um, now in, in West Virginia where they are, uh, to await trial. Like I mentioned earlier, governor wise wanted a quick trial in Virginia. Um, uh, he really feared that, there was going to be a rescue attempt mm. and that there would be more violence. So he really wanted this thing to get going. Um, and, it, and it went so quickly that 
that Brown and the men are in court one week after the capture. Yeah. It's yeah. literally one week. Speed uh, trial, no denying that. He had to lay on a mattress in a cot because he was still, you know, recovering from his his, yeah, his wounds. For sure. Yeah. Um, this provided great publicity. Uh, journalists swarmed the town. Uh, the court gallery was full of an audience. Uh, they even talked about there being peanut shells, peanut shells on the ground because they were eating peanuts, and you could hear the crunching. <laughs> it would just echo throughout. Uh, the chamber just to give you a sense of what a what a uh, oh and also when when his you know how how John Brown dies is also going to be this this uh, spectacle this huge public spectacle yeah and so something you would you would want to take your family to you would want to like say you'd been there right mm-hmm. um, and so uh, one of the interesting things is that uh, Brown's defense tries to plead insanity. And this plea of insanity will be interesting in the historiography because um, it's going to be forever linked to him that, you know, he was an insane fanatic. And, okay. and as we talked about in part, part one of, of this series is that, you know, he did have some insanity with his mother and how that had been brought up as well. But Same but Brown's going to deny this. He's like, I am not insane. I'm rational. Yeah. Right? yeah. So he, yeah. he he denies, denies, denies. And, and, and insanity was was a newer thing at this period and so yeah and interesting enough and i may get this wrong so please correct me um i believe alexander hamilton one of his sons was killed by a u.s senator for having an affair with his wife and i believe this u.s senator or congressman declared insanity and I think that was the first example. Philip Hamilton, maybe? That sounds right. And I'm, uh, Shot by George. No, Philip Hamilton dies much earlier. Oh, it's it's a different that, son. That's in a duel. Okay, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a different conflict. Yeah, <laughs> different conflict. Um, and I'm not sure what the year is, but I believe that was the first time that a plea of insanity was used. And, and the man, the Senator Congress, I don't remember which branch uh, of, the, of, the, of Congress, but... He he got off. He uh, he he won that defense. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a lot of errors in that. So yeah, <laughs> feel hey, free that, to that's correct. That's a great story, though. Yeah. I read yeah. that once yeah. a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but no, Brown denies his plea of insanity, um, and so the trial continues. Uh, October thirty first, eighteen fifty nine, two weeks after being trapped in the engine house, um, the final verdict is is and sentencing occurs. Uh, the jury is gone for 45 minutes. Um, when they return, they find Brown guilty of treason and conspiracy and advising with slaves and others to rebel and murder in the first degree. Huh. Um, and so Brown is going to be sentenced to hang until dead on December 2nd, 1859. How much? How much longer? So this trial concludes. How long after Harper's Ferry ends? I mean, it's, it's so it's fast. two weeks. The, wow. the the sentencing is two weeks, and it's be a record. he's got to wait like a month before. So you're talking a f- less than two months. Wow, very fast. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, uh, this certainly, I, I, you know, I'm starting to prepare for my master's thesis, and I, I'm going to do uh, you know something related to, to Jim Crow and and, and you know, it's some of my early research and just kind of reading about the period and. Um, in the South after the Civil War, um, to combat mob rule, like you know lynch law, mm-hmm. for example, um, law enforcement and judicial systems really 
tried to be extremely, extremely swift um, and to push for, like, the death penalty as a way to kind of talk the mob off the ledge of, hey, you don't need to lynch them. Don't you worry. We'll legally kill them, you know, via the courtroom. Um, And this just reminds me of that period of, of, you know. And then it's kind of the other way. I mean, I think like the Emmett Till trial, like, wasn't that those men, like the debates, it wasn't like super quick. It's fast, and, and it's an all-white jury, all-white and, jury, and they yeah. walk free, and then like what a couple months later, they get paid by a magazine to tell, to tell exactly how they did it. Yeah, yeah so you see it on you see it on both ends of the spectrum. Sure, the spectrum. Right? Sure, it just depends who depends who it is, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very quick, you know, get it done because you don't want that double jeopardy. Right, right. Um, so Brown was able to give a closing speech, um, and well, as we mentioned earlier, he was able to captivate an audience, and so. Uh, kind of the biggest quote from that from that closing speech, John Brown says, quote, Now, if it is deemed necessary that I should forfeit my life for the furtherance of the ends of justice and mingle my blood further with the blood of my children and with the blood of millions in this slave country whose rights are disregarded by wicked, cruel, and unjust enactments, I submit, so let it be done. Wow. So he has accepted his fate. Yeah. Um, and, and as you mentioned, probably wish he would have died at Harper's Ferry. Yeah. But um, the imprisonment, I, I do think, kind of accentuates his legacy a little bit more. Yeah. Because this month that he spends in prison, he is allowed to write. Yes. And so we see so many of his writings come from, from this month, his letters. He wrote family. He wrote friends. He wrote admirers. Um, and he's going to start to publicly be viewed as a martyr yeah. before he's even hit the noose. And so I think these prison letters have to have a huge piece of, of that. Um, and I mean, and I, I took a class on, on you know, the history of American protest and, uh, you know, and included in some of those, those books I read are, are his prison letters. I mean, they really are seen as a, you know, 1800s protest, you know, form of protest. Which is fascinating because I, I don't think I would have originally thought of it that way. Right. But it makes perfect sense. Right. How else do you oppose a violent system but with violence? Is exactly. That's what he would say. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so Brown's main goal for the next month is, is going to be to show courage in the strength and strength in the face of death. Um, it's quite a quite a circumstance, right? Because he, he can't quake, right? He's got to he's got to stand tall because you know if up there on the scaffold if if he breaks down so too does kind of his cause so that's a lot of weight for a man to bear knowing that you're you're walking towards your death you, you got to be strong you got to show courage but at least in, in at least in the letters that that i've read and i, I kind of reread them in, in preparation mm-hmm. for this i mean he really does seek to remind people who he is what mm-hmm. he cares about um uh, he speaks at nauseum about his his religious conviction and he oftentimes kind of teaches what what he what he has done and and the impact of of, and and consequences of what he's done through like biblical parables you know um i I was reading this one today and this is from um from uh november 3rd but he writes this long letter uh this is like so it's a month before he's he's Mm -hmm. sentenced and he's hung um and he writes his long letter and he talks about what happened and he starts talking about you know philip in the bible and uh you know uh, jesus and then you know uh he signs you know uh, your affectionate husband and father john brown and then p.s yesterday i was sentenced to be hung don't worry don't grieve 
I am still quite cheerful. So I mean, he he really, wow. you yeah. know, he's, you know, he's he's a uh, what a postscript, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. So he he's coming to terms with it. Uh, he he's now focused on posterity. He's focused on his legacy as it as it pertains to the cause. And so Brown's execution is going to be a public event, um, December second. Governor Wise of Virginia fears those plots of rescue, and so he's actually going to crack down on the spectacle itself. He's going to order uh, the protection of militia and troops. So you're going to see militia from Virginia come in, militia from, from nearby areas. One of the militiamen, and this once again goes to the idea of just how small um, the U.S. was at the time, one of the militiamen was none other than John Wilkes Booth, yeah. Um, yeah. Who, who arrives um, to kind of be on guard. Um, some Southerners disagreed with the execution. Um, quote, um, it was said, to hang a fanatic is to make a martyr of him mm-hmm. and fledge another brood in the same sort. Um, so that's quite interesting. Some of them fear that, that this is only going to make John Brown even even bigger. Um, and, and then the opposite of that, you have uh, President John Tyler, yeah. who is still very much alive at this time, uh, is quoted with saying that John Brown deserves to die a thousand deaths yeah. upon the rank to end in fire and termination in hell. Yeah. So uh, the United States is, is equally divided on, on John Brown's execution. And, and in each of those cases, you hear them kind of looking at, at the political consequence of, of John Brown. And I mean, for those um, for those pro-slavery people, I mean, they're they're very aware of that. I mean, this is... This they're already is, walking on eggshells. And right? it's only going to grow, you know, the, the opposition in, in, you know, the Western territories and certainly in the North to to the expansion of, of slavery, right? And so um, it's just interesting how you, you can kind of feel the the spin game, you know, beginning yeah. before before he's even put to death, right? Yep, before, before December 2nd. And so Brown, he writes, he writes several letters, uh, lots of correspondence during that time. Um, were there any others that that struck you, Andrew? That of the letters or anything that you? I mean, he 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 gets he writes more the closer he gets, you know. And so I mean, just a couple great lines. Uh, I assume you're gonna you're gonna reference the most famous one, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, but I mean, you know, he writes this. Uh, this is November thirtieth, you know. Uh, my dearly beloved wife, sons, daughter, everyone, which is funny because there's so many of them. So yes. He's like, he's like, I mean all of <laughs> His you. His tribe, yeah. <laughs> he, all like dozen of you that are left or whatever. Um, I'm writing in the hour of my public murder with great composure of mind and cheerfulness, feeling the strongest assurance that in no other possible way could I be used to so much advance the cause of God and of humanity that nothing that either I or all my family have sacrificed or suffered will be lost. The reflection that a wise, merciful, as well as a just and holy God rules not only the affairs of this world, but of all worlds, is a rock to the feet, to our feet upon under all circumstances, even though those more severely trying ones into which our own follies and wrongs have placed us. I have no doubt, doubt but that our seeming disaster will ultimately result in the most glorious success." Right, mm-hmm. and he just he goes on and on and on, um, and I mean, say what you will about John Brown, say what you will about achieving things through, uh, through let's be honest, at times shocking violence, right, um, or outright massacre, right. But talk about a man who was willing to talk the talk, right, uh, and 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 go down for the cause. Um, 
and who really cared that people understood his conviction, right? Um, and, and felt as though he was, you know, he was the sword, you know, handed down by God, right? Absolutely. So December 2nd, 1859 arrives um, a little before 11 a.m. He was bound and taken to a wagon and forced to sit on his own coffin. Mm. I can only imagine what that would have felt like. Um, he is then transported to a 40-acre field of rye and corn. Um, the The scaffolding was erected that morning because Governor Wise did not want it to become hallowed ground. Okay, so wow. created in a wow. field that day. The militia and men that had been brought in now totaled about 1,500, and they were to patrol the area. And the public, which you mentioned earlier, would have gone to visit. They were positioned at such a distance that it was very difficult to see. Uh, They were behind the soldiers. Um, Now, Brown is uh, stated that he uh, shook the hands of his jailer and the sheriff, both of whom were on the platform. Um, It was at this time that he was hooded and noosed, and he had to wait on the trap door for anywhere between 10 to 15 minutes, hooded and noosed, while the troops who escorted him found their place in the field. Wow. So anticipation. Yeah. Remember, he's got to show great courage here. Sure. uh, Because these are his last moments. Absolutely. And so he does show great resolve, um, and then when the order is given, trap door opens but the rope was too short to break his neck <laughs> the tension in this moment yes and it took five minutes for him to die um he then dangled for 35 minutes until he was cut down and placed in the coffin cruel and now, unusual man at this time his wife was allowed to visit days prior he had originally told her that he did not want her to visit but she had made the journey down there anyways and he had he had changed his mind so they were both on the same page there uh she was given his body um and and was allowed which i was quite surprised yeah uh, but was allowed to return the body to uh to the home in north elba now before brown was killed before he died um his last words probably some of the most famous words that he ever spoke yeah um because he was not allowed to speak at the gallows because of we know him as a speaker, right? They don't want to make this hallowed ground. <laughs> How long would he have gone on for? Yes. Right? Yeah. And so Brown knew this, and, and he handed a, a jail guard, Hiram O'Bannon, who had asked for simply his autograph. Mm. Um, instead, he received a paper with what we believe to be John Brown's last words. And so he said, I, John Brown, am now quite certain that the crimes of this guilty land will never be purged away, but with blood. I had, as I now think, vainly flattered myself that without very much blood shed, it might be done. So, what a way to go out. What a way to go out. Um, after John Brown's death, the South mobilized. Yeah. Jefferson Davis on December 8th stated, quote, John Brown and a thousand John Browns can invade us, and the government will not protect us. We are not to be protected in our property and sovereignty. We therefore release from our allegiance and will secure our rights and protect our honor. We will dissever the ties that bind us together, 
even if it rushes us into a sea of blood. That is clearly secession. Right? Absolutely. And this is December 8th, 1859. Yeah. Henry Wise, the governor, says, quote, abolition is a cancer eating into our very vitals. We must rely on ourselves. I say then to you, to you, to your tents, organize and arm. I mean, truly, I mean, December for Jefferson Davis, mm-hmm. I mean, truly uh, a year later to the month is when South Carolina leaves the Union, right? Absolutely. I mean, and just some more irony here. Let's talk about Governor Wise for, for a little bit longer. Uh, six days after Fort Sumter, Wise and a group of men are going to seize the armory at Harper's Ferry uh, before the U.S. government could fortify it. So he, he, wow. he went John Brown. Wow, he's taking uh, notes here. He what not notes. to do? So it's, 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 you can see the impact that, that Brown had on, on the mobilization of the South and increasing the rhetoric of secession. Well, and, and, I mean, this is, you know, post-Uncle Tom's Cabin, post-Bleeding Kansas, post, you know, Compromise of 1850, Kansas-Nebraska, Dred Scott. I mean, and we're listing just a couple of the mm-hmm. highlighting points, right? And then right at the end, right, you have this moment. And I have to imagine, and we'll get to this in, in our next episode, but you know, I'm sure in the North, right, they're also going to be instantly spinning his death into into martyrdom. And I, I think of like the the John Brown's body song, right, which yeah. I, I think pretty we'll talk early about on it. shows up, right, and, mm-hmm. in you know, the Civil his, War, his soul is marching on, right. Yep, he's a moldering in, in the grave, but his his uh, soul is marching on. And, and they they sing that when they're when they're marching, the soldiers mm-hmm. are marching. It becomes right? the tune of the Union, right. Right. And so before we end, just to kind of uh, highlight and acknowledge the 22 men that were with Brown and, yeah. and kind of the, to, to conclude their story. So of Brown's 22 men, 10 were killed in action. Those included Dangerfield Newby, William Lehman, Watson Brown, John Kagey, Louis Leary, William Thompson, Stuart Taylor, Oliver Brown, Jeremiah Anderson, Dolphine Thompson. Seven were captured. John Brown, Shields Green, Edwin Coppock, John Copeland, John Cook, Aaron Stevens, Albert Hazlitt. All of them would be executed. Mm. Five escaped. Barclay Coppock would die in the Civil War in 1861. Charles Tidd would die in the Civil War in 1862. Francis Miriam would be the captain of black troops would be wounded in the Civil War, die in 1865. Hmm. Osborne Anderson, okay, the black recruit from Canada, would recruit black soldiers in the Civil War, die in 1872. Owen Brown, one of Brown's sons, would die in 1889. Hmm. He would be the last of Brown's men at Harper's Ferry. Oh. And I'd like to end with a quote that we started with yeah. in episode one. Frederick Douglass if John Brown did not end the war that ended slavery, he did at least begin the war that ended slavery. Mm. May their souls keep marching on. Keep marching on. Jonathan, this was great, and I can't wait for part three. Guys, this has been another episode of uh, Making History Dope again. As always, uh, stay safe, stay sane. Live the revolution. We'll catch you next time.